Hey, beautiful people. This is Christine, and I'm hanging with my man, my boy, my homie, Aunt Boogie, and you're listening to Keeping the Towel. Easy World, Easy World, it's your man Ant Boogie, don't worry about the name, get used to the voice, it's another day, it's a new moment, it's a new minute, it's a new second, it's a new hour, it's a new day, it's a new month, it's another round of Keeping the Towel, and thank you so much for tuning in, for rocking and vibing with me as always, can't tell you how grateful I am to have you in the building with me, and ladies and gentlemen, as you know, the name of this game is to make sure that you are still in this fight called life, and you ain't giving up yet, because we still got some more rounds to go. But it's not just me here at the moment. I got another guest who is joining me in the sparring gym at this time. So, ladies and gentlemen, all the way from NY, Queens, to be exact, my girl, Christine Nassar. Christine, you in the building? Good afternoon, beautiful people. Good afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. My girl came through and decided to join me in the sparring gym at this moment in time. So, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to get a chance to listen to her, hear what she got to speak about, why she's keeping her towel at this moment in time. So, ladies and gentlemen, you already know how this goes, but Christine, you're going to know how this runs. I need you to get out your locker room. I need you to get to the sparring ring. Ladies and gentlemen, you can go ahead and gather around if you want. And Christine, you and I, we're going to go ahead and get to the middle of the ring, touch gloves, because, ladies and gentlemen, it is Aunt Boogie and Christine, and this round has officially started. Christine, put people on where it all started for you. Where it all started for me, I think it it started when I incarnated on this earth. (laughs) (laughs) Touching on cultures of emotional dysfunction, particularly with my own experiences growing up in a Haitian-cultured lifestyle. Particular for me, the emotional abuse was emotional in, in, in my regards. There was nothing physical in terms of the abuse. The household, Christine, when she was small, life was innocent. What was it like for you? Life in the household was very interesting, um, especially dealing with two parents who already had their emotional traumas going on, who decided to get together, get married, and have children. In particular, my own relationship with my mother. I hold her accountable for the reason why my relationship with my father never really had a chance to flourish because I felt that she had been a victim of sexual abuse within the family. And I say that because I am very was very much a daddy's girl, was very close with my father, and I would find that in being close with my father would cause a jealousy with my mother that I would get punished for. Uh, for example, if she would go away to... She would have my other siblings sort of tattletale and and watch, you know, what the other siblings would do because my my sister at the time was in charge. If me being a young child would and being a child would love to hang out with my father, be around my dad, sleep in the same bed with him. But apparently that that was a no, no, according to my mother. You know, once my once she came back home and my sister had reported to her 
that I had slept in the bed with my father, I got beat. You know, I wasn't allowed to do that. Or it was not being raised to be close with my brothers. If we were sitting in our living room, we weren't allowed to sit next to each other because she thought something sexual was going on. Her father, who had passed when I was growing up, we used to have this really huge picture of him and she wouldn't want to look at it. She would always just act kind of weird about it, which always made me feel deep down that there was something underlying going on there. Um, or even with disciplining me, you know, the retorts would usually be of some sort of over-sexual nature, which very much led me to believe that she was molested in that way, which she had passed on to me. And in turn, I had stayed away from my father because I didn't want to get in trouble anymore. Put me on to, normally you don't hear a lot of the daddy's girl type of thing in much, particularly within the black community. Normally that we would hear, we don't really hear too much about the daddy's girl relationship dynamic within the black community because it's oftentimes, sometimes rare. So give us a, a peek into that world then. Little Christine and dad, what was that like for you? Little Christine and dad was very much that. It was sweet. It was innocent. It was my father doting over me. My mom dressing me up and my father taking me out to you know, should go for a walk, take me out for pizza and ice cream and show me off, you know, because I was so cute. It was, you know, waiting for him to call from work and telling him that I loved him and I missed him and, you know, to pick up uh, ice cream for us to eat, you know, waiting for him to come home from work. We would watch cartoons or old black and white movies together. It was very much an innocent, you know, relationship. You know, if I needed something, I would ask my father for it. You know, that's that's what parents are there for, to provide for their children, to give them the things that they need. And, you know, for me, my father, it, it appeared to my other siblings, took a favoritism to me. And it I would get backlash from that from them. You know, there was a jealousy that if I asked for something and I would get it, it was, oh, that I was being spoiled or I'm the favorite and, you know, everyone gets treated differently. Meanwhile, I'm a child. <laughs> You know, I, I shouldn't have to think about or concern myself if uh, my love for my father is something that's forbidden because everyone else may not be getting the same experience as I am. So because of my mother's own emotional dysfunction, that very much put a halt to my relationship with my father. So I can't really say if the, the possibility of how my relationship would have gone had my mother not had meddled in it. But I know that not having a relationship with my father definitely already had put the detriment in how I continued on with my relationships with men growing into adulthood. It's very much the truth to a father teaching their daughters and setting that precedent of how men are supposed to treat them. I didn't have that, that precedent to, to follow anymore because one, my parents' relationship wasn't a, marriage wasn't a healthy one. I didn't grow up seeing that healthy dynamic between a man and a woman. And therefore, my father also having, you know, his own traumas, didn't know how to set that precedent for me because he didn't have one to grow up with. So it's kind of free for all. So in turn, for me, it was, it translated into me picking men that were emotionally unavailable because in, in many ways, my father was emotionally unavailable for me. 
so I had therefore having that lack put that detriment in how I went on with relationships with men that I had to repair realize it one and heal and repair it myself you mentioned that at some point your old your older siblings were put over so you're the baby of the family or middle child baby of the family okay so being the baby of the family and you said that your siblings was to watch over you when your mother went away and they would tattletale on you about something sometimes if it wasn't true as that went on did your father start to see a change in your behavior towards him because unfair consequences due to the fact of your closeness to him did your father start to notice a change in your behavior if he did he never mentioned anything to me mm. and it was definitely something at the time that i of course would never mention to him because obviously i was afraid of getting trouble with my mother again it wasn't a topic that actually got addressed till i was probably in my mid 20s where i had explained to my dad why my behavior had changed with him and he seemed genuinely shocked he didn't think that that was possible that that had happened that i had gotten in trouble for being so close to him i mean it, you know but at that time either the damage was had already been done yep and <laughs> life went on <laughs> You know, there really wasn't much to do from that. There really wasn't much that he could do to fix it or repair it. Or it was something that I, as an adult, as a conscious adult, had to heal and repair myself. You're growing into this young woman and your siblings. You said that there was a little of a wedge early with your siblings in, in your childhood that your mother will, will not let you sit next to your brothers or your brother sit next to your you and your sister due to the fact that she would automatically think something was happening. Explain what that was like, that you're in a house with your siblings and you basically have to sit on one side of the room and they're on one side of the room. <laughs> Explain I mean, the, the it, rift it, that caused. It, it was weird. And always from a young child, I knew it was weird. But at the same time, I didn't ruffle any feathers and question it. I kind of just went along with it. It was extremely detrimental to till this modern day i don't have relationships with my brothers or it's awkward it's weird because it's something that i never had so you know even as an adult even when we do speak there really isn't any that emotional connection that's there like i very much identify as being an only child because of that because we weren't taught to protect each other we weren't taught to formulate those relationships as brothers and sisters together so that was a very big detriment as well and you know just in general not only not having a father that male role from my father but also never having that male role from my brothers especially having older brothers for me when it's in older brothers who have sisters it's always to protect i've never known that feeling with my brothers and i probably never will and that's okay you know, that's something that I've accepted and I'm okay with that. But just to reflecting on it, going forward with when I have children, the things that I know that I won't do, the things that I will make sure, those are types of healthy relationships that I will foster with my children. Now, let's pair with mom. As you said, that there was something there that you had a picture of your grandfather and your mother acted funny around that picture or whenever she saw that picture. Now that she 
was inadvertently, I wouldn't say inadvertently, but just um, in a subliminal way, creating that wedge and, and also non-subliminal way, creating that wedge between y'all. What was it that you also noticed with your mother that was that was a change or a difference in your relationship to her? I wouldn't necessarily say there was a change in a relationship with my mother. The dynamic, I feel, between my mother and I has always consistently been kind of like a, a love-hate sort of relationship. Um, just as hard as we could fight is just as hard as we could love each other. You know, and, and, and in a way, now looking back on it, I, I feel like I, I sort of had some understanding of why my mother was behaving the way she was behaving, even though it, it was inappropriate. But I understood her in some sort of way. What did you and understand? I understood that there was some sort of sexual trauma that happened to her that was making her behave the way she was. I understood that there was that wanting, that needing of love and attention and affection that she was craving, that she was wanting from my father that she didn't get, that she was upset and hateful and, and jealous of me because my father was giving it to me. I understood those things in some sort of, on, on some level being younger about my mother and even though we did have that wedge not wedge but that wound in between us because it is a wound um, I still love my mother for it you know and I understood that even more so now that you know parents do the best that they can with what they have and there's no doubt that despite how our dynamic was that my mother loved me because there's so many other jewels and gems and that I inherited that she did pass on to me but along with the emotional trauma that she did pass along to me as well and I think it's interesting to hear that you said your mother was craving that love and attention that she saw was devoid from your father that she saw that you were getting did you see it as your mother was jealous of you definitely there mm. definitely is that there definitely is it's uh, I wouldn't say it's normal, but I, I feel like it's more common than more people want to talk about how the women can become jealous of their daughters in that respect. As now you're growing into your teenage years, and as you said, the relationship between you, your siblings, your father, your mother, it's a difference. How would you describe your home during that time? Ah, very melancholic. Mm. Very tumultuous, seeing fights, you know, between my parents, seeing my mother accusing my father of cheating, infidelity, that always seeing my mother sad, seeing her depressed, especially not being happy, not being happy in her marriage, seeing both my parents not happy in their marriage and just sort of, you know, being with each other and keeping things together on, on some levels because, you know, you don't want to keep up with appearances, your statuses is everything to make sure that everything looks like it's good for the outside but on the inside there there are these different emotional landmines that you sort of have to maneuver through every single day mm. um, as a child for me anyway it was a very melancholic time for me to have processed through and my saving grace was very much my mind having always wanting to learn having my imagination having music writing those were the thing that very much soothed me through and guided me through this process and not being completely aware 
of, of the magnitude of it, but very much God, too, keeping it all together behind the scenes and me not knowing how much control and, and guidance and protection that he had over me during all these times in my life. You brought up a good term there, emotional landmines. I haven't heard that term in a long, long time. Explain what that was like. What was those emotional landmines that you had to be careful not to step on? And what were the consequences once you stepped on them? Emotional landmines could be a variety of things. You know, emotional landmine could be getting a phone call from my mom while I was at work because she's sobbing uncontrollably over the phone because she's so depressed and just and just feeling that heaviness and that loneliness and desperately trying to find something to remedy and, and make things better and, and having to be around that all the time. Emotional landmines could have been, you know, being forced to pick sides in arguments between my parents, hearing the words that they said between each other and feeling like you had to pick sides. And those could have been emotional landmines. Emotional landmines would be really not having siblings, even though they were there to really talk to about this. There really wasn't any any of those outlets. So an emotional landmine could have been anything so that just very- couldn't be talked about and discussed and addressed in a healthy way. It's a, it's, they're all landmines. So it was like a very sensitive situation in your home every single day. Pretty much. I mean, when we, and you know, we had our good times as every, it's not everything. There's always a balance of things in some sort of way, even if the balance is off. Mm-hmm. It's just not to to say that there weren't good times and good memories and good things that were occurring in my childhood, but the overcast of it. I, I can't just sweep under the rug these very detrimental things that absolutely did affect my emotional process, my spiritual process, you know, the, the whole gamut. Of it, not, and not only just me, but seeing how it affected my siblings as well. Just for the simple fact that I don't have relationships with my siblings, I, I barely sort of have one with one of my brothers. But not having those relationships and, and being okay because so much, I felt like I was an only child. That I felt like I was going through this on my own, even though I had siblings who were in the same household as me. Now, as Christine is this teenager. And like every teenager just trying to navigate through life. Again, you had the landmines and then it was, it was just an awkward balance. One minute good, you didn't know what was going to happen tomorrow or whatever. Now going to school, what was that like for you to leave home and go to school? Was it like a different world for you or was it just like all right, an escape or what was it for you? School was definitely a different world for me in a good way. Mm. I got to be among peers who I could talk to, who also came from cultural backgrounds who understood the strictness and the taboos that came along with being raised in cultural homes and cultural households. It's also a way for me to socialize, to express myself. I was very fortunate to meet good friends and have good friends and have been blessed to have in high school meet my mentor you know, it was also very much a father figure to me to have someone to talk to about everything that was going on at home and to have someone understand me on different level. And, and it's so important to be understood, especially as an adolescent when you're going through 
so many emotional changes, not only with your own body that you're going through emotional and psychological changes, but just the outside world just influencing that, you know, he very much was a source of light for me during those times. Now you had this teacher, you had your your peers who you were able to speak what you had to say at times when you were just going through whatever. Did your parents know that, hey, Christine's coming home a little more quiet? And as you said earlier that you escaped through music, writing, and everything, did your parents notice it or it was just like, all right, whatever? No, they didn't notice it. It was, you know, my father, one, wasn't, was always working. My father was two jobs. He wasn't a disciplinary. He didn't rear us in any sort of way. So it was very much my mother who had control and was always there, always home because she was a stay-at-home mother. So she very much oversaw that. But a lot of times I don't think she would have been able to necessarily pick up on those nuances because she was just so overwhelmed with her own darkness going on that it, it in many ways it sort of became it could easily be the child becoming the parent type of dynamic because of that if that makes sense did you notice that change of the dynamic in high school or later i personally definitely noticed it more in high school high school definitely more in high school as opposed to post pre-adolescence but more so in high school I noticed that where and it's because of growing up such a quote-unquote serious having so many serious adult themes going on we were always more mature had to be more mature than we had the freedom to do you know kids should be kids for as long as they can be kids I feel and I don't feel like we had a chance, my siblings and I, to just be kids because we were too busy trying to be adults in some ways and, and take on and handle the responsibilities of a lot of our parents' mess and still trying to function and formulate and cultivate a life of lives of our own for ourselves. Seeing that the, that now you be, it was the dynamic of being the kids were now the adults, did that spawn or spur a wedge, a further wedge between you and your siblings? Once the wedge was already there, it only grew wider. It didn't it didn't close. You know, you can't miss if something is not cultivated from young, right. it's not gonna just suddenly sprout out as when we get older. <laughs> it is very much you know, everyone wants to leave. Everyone, you know, my brother, my oldest brother left left home and went off on his own very young, as soon as he could and moved away to a different state to start his own life, you know? My younger of the two brothers moved out, <laughs> you know, and had his own life. So there, there wasn't that, never any of that opportunity to say, or that knowing, or that wanting probably sometimes to say like, hey, I, I want a relationship with my siblings. It was very just superficial, it wasn't deep. I mean, we didn't, you know, we didn't know how to have relationships with each other. Mm. We didn't know how to. That was taken away from us and, and on, on different levels and in different ways. In your teenage years, as we know, this is in you mentioned it early that this is where now looking for that male figure to be emotional and everything. And you said something interesting that you were choosing people who were emotionless. Did this start in high school or did this start latter? Oh, definitely latter. Not okay. in high school. Okay. Um, I didn't realize that it until when I was out here in the world having dating experiences and having 
emotionally toxic dating experiences and finally catching on to the pattern that I had learned from my mother of dealing with emotionally unavailable men. I didn't catch on to it right away. It didn't click. Even though I had the intelligence to, to make sound decisions, I didn't necessarily have the emotional maturity to make better decisions, to love myself, to choose to, to know my value, to know my worth, to know all these things, to have to teach myself all these things that I didn't learn from my mother, to break these patterns that I had seen between, not only with my mother with the dynamic with herself, but then you're adding on the dynamic that my mother had with her father and the dynamic my father had with himself and the dynamic that he had with my mom. So it was getting to a point where I realized that the repeated decisions that I was making didn't make sense. And I had to realize like, wait, this doesn't make sense anymore. Why do I keep doing the same thing? Keep getting the same results? I'm saying to myself, I'm too smart for this. I'm too intelligent for this. I have to change something. So just realizing that it wasn't just the intellectual intelligence that needed to mature. It was actually the healing that needed to be done in order for my younger self. Because adolescence is such a crucial time in development. I always feel that because there's so much trauma that adolescents are dealing with, we don't have a chance to properly mature emotionally. We're not innately taught those by our parents because our parents don't don't have the, the knowledge to teach us those things. So now it's as an adult, allowing your younger self to grow up, to feel safe, yeah. to feel that you can take care of yourself, to know your worth, to love yourself, to truly know thyself. Those are things that, for me rather, I, I had to be conscious of and consciously change them. It, it's realizing that you're repeating these patterns and making a conscious change to heal and work through them. Now, Christine, this question is, is kind of like a two-part question. One, you're out of your adolescence, you're now into young adult years, and you brought up this spot where you would just pick motionless men. Was it due to the fact that you became numb to it, that, hey, this is normal, I'm fine with it, but you still gravitated toward these type of men due to the fact of of what home was like? Oh, absolutely. When you're when you have a child that can when the environment that a child is being raised in is what they're conditioned by. Mm. I definitely was conditioned to normalize seeing that type of dynamic between my parents as normal. And that Even being though I, I may have yeah, that, that emotionally unavailable mm. toxicity, I very much normalized it. And very much it, it was on a deep subconscious level that it, it had been conditioned in me and normalized as well. I asked that because now that you in various relationships and it's you're pouring out yourself or maybe you're not, it's just like, hey, we're both stoic to each other. And now you grow and you start learning things about mom and dad that you learn things about your mother's past with her family and your dad's past with his family. What did you learn from those two separate incidences or two separate entities that, hey, this was mom's past. What did you learn about that first? Well, just in (laughs) learning things from my mom's past, I realized that she just didn't have a chance. She loved the best way that she knew how to love and she was full of love 
And unfortunately, she wasn't protected the way that she should have been. You know, a father, once a father has violated that that trust with a daughter and it turns sexual, that just kills everything. Yeah. <laughs> it, it sort of, it spoils, you know, that innocence, that trust that's supposed to be there for a young girl. No, not not getting that from her father, and and thus her in her own way normalizing certain certain emotionally toxic behaviors going on up and throughout her life, and then my father not being raised by his family, being considered the illegitimate bastard child. You know, they and I don't know much detail because that you know for some reason my there were so many secrets. Mm. <laughs> Everything was a secret. There are a lot of things I don't know. I think parents do a great disservice to their children when they don't talk about their lives yes. honestly. I agree. And there's there's this this sort of shame that that I imagine they have, and this reputation and this face that they feel that they have to keep in front of their children. Even as the children become adults, there's a certain space that I feel like they feel like they have to keep. When in turn, I feel like you should, you know, you need to talk about these things that happened. You know, we we are our ancestors in many, many ways. We inherit many, many things from them, you know, through, through our bloodline, through our emotions. Those are not just things that just disappear once the physical body has cease to exist in this plane the remnants of that still are very much here and if you don't know about them it just in, in my case it makes them a little difficult to sort of recognize and address them because there are so many just secrets that sometimes you know I, I found out certain things and I was like wow you know now certain things make sense now it puts you know an a dot on the top of the eye and it crosses the T for me of why my mother exhibited certain you know behaviors with me when I was growing up. Everything started to make sense more for me. I know a little bit more about my mother's past than I do with my father's, but things very much made much more sense when I found out little details and tidbits about my mother's life that I had not known before, but it made sense to me now. And like I said, it's knowing these things and, and speaking on these things now is not to put my mother down mm -hmm. or to put her in a negative light. Absolutely. You no, know, I, I respect my mother and I honor my mother and I love my mother very much. But it's more of, okay, now that I know better, let me do better going forward. Yes. I ha I've taken on that responsibility to acknowledge what were the issues that were going on not only in my mother's generation but taking it on for the generations that you know preceded her mm. and healing those wounds and those traumas to make a better way for all those who will succeed me that's that's interesting because you don't always hear that that you will hear someone say i'm gonna i'm taking on this for the generation that that has preceded me and the generation <laughs> that went before that's a lot to put on your shoulders well, that is the true definition of breaking generational curses. You know, there's always a uh, there's an expression out there: breaking generational curses is not for the not for the weak. Right. 
it's not a uh, responsibility that just anyone can take on or has the mental and emotional and spiritual capacity to take on. But it's, it's just the perseverance and purpose that I know I, that I have in me mm. that I am going to do better, that I'm, I'm tired of seeing my generation struggle or hurt or being of lack because I know very much that we are royalty. Yes. Each and every one of us. Right. <laughs> this and world is not meant for us to suffer. When did you finally decide, all right, you know what? I'm going to take on this task. Do you remember when was that turning, that pivot point for you that you decided to take on this task to break this generational curse? I think in a way that I subconsciously have been doing it much younger than I consciously knew I was doing it. How so? Just knowing, just always knowing that I wanted better. Just always knowing that there was more to life than just this emotional heartache that I felt that I had been served. I knew there was a purpose to everything that I had been going through, you know, down from my mother having a stroke to for that instance, just further pushing my family apart from each other, which pretty much obliterated the concept of, of family for me. Um, and when your and mother had the stroke? Towards... Yes, absolutely. Oh, wow. Absolutely. It was, it was that. It was discovering, you know, my father's other child that he had outside of the marriage during this time. It was my father kicking me out of my house because I found out about it and I approached him about it. There were just all these things happening to me in a period of my life and being so young. I was in my early 20s and and where most quote-unquote 20-year-olds were out here living their best life and exploring the world, I was dealing with all these heavy, extremely heavy and, and dark life circumstances that most people don't go through until they're much older in life, you know? So there was always that maturity of situations that I knew that there had to be an underlining purpose of why I was going through all of these things, that there were lessons in why I was going through all of these things. Because I know that I'm a wonderful person, and I don't say that to, to toot my own horn, but I know that I deserve good things in my life. And certainly the cards that I was being dealt didn't reflect that. So I knew that I had to make some sort of changes, take on some sort of responsibility because I am a product of the blood of my mother and my father. So therefore, with inheriting those traumas, I also have a choice not to continue that. I have a choice now that I know better, now that I have knowledge, that I have the opportunity and responsibility to apply what I know as wisdom and to share what I know so that things can be better so that we all have a chance to be healthy live well be well when you decided to go on this this journey of of reversing these generational curses did you try your best like give this another shot to form a formidable of course with your, of with, course. Your, with I, your siblings like did you with my siblings yeah, yes. did you do that yes what it, was that task like for you hurtful hmm extremely hurtful hurtful in trying to trying to mend a relationship oh the whole process of it the mm. whole trying mm. and and getting shut down it's the 
feeling like all of your siblings blame you in a certain way for certain things that happen or there's and that just stems from oh them feeling that I was the favorite or having certain things that I was told I wasn't spoiled <laughs> you know the things that my father were doing for me were things that spoiled me they were very basic things like I said but just feeling some sort of animosity from my siblings and also truly understanding that everyone is very much on their own divine time in their own journey in this life not everyone is going to be ready to be honest and be accountable for the things that have occurred no matter how ugly they may be healing is ugly there's no way around it at times yes you know a lot of people sugar sugarcoat healing like healing can be very ugly it can be very depressing it can be very dark it'll have you question everything and that's the purpose of it it's, mm. it's for it to just sort of get you to purge all of those things out of you, all that hurt, and to learn the, the lessons from it and to sort of find the, the balance and the duality of life and accepting the, the light and darker aspects of yourself um, from the traumatic experiences that we've going, gone through and transmuting all that negative energy into light, into positive into something positive and not everyone's ready to do that and I understand that I found myself in several situations trying to mend things with siblings and just being hurt from it or feeling like this it was some sort of revenge mm. game or it's, it's very hurtful and, and, and petty and I had to just come to terms with that's okay <laughs> I can only be responsible for my own healing the best example to do is to heal myself everything else will follow suit once I just stay focused on healing me everything else will fall into place everything that is meant to happen will happen for sure if it's meant for me to one day repair and mend relationships with my siblings it will happen and I trust that but I also trust more in the fact that I'm doing the work myself and what was meant to be will be. And also family is not just confined exclusively for blood relations. Right. Family is, is very much the bonds that you make with people who are in alignment for your soul's path, for your soul's journey. You know, I, God very much sends people and situations for the time that you need them. And it's also what your vibrational energy is attracting. Yes. Now, if I knew that I wanted better, I knew I had to change my own vibration. I knew, like I said, it's going back and it's healing my own energy, healing my own wounds is the best attestation I could say of, or proof of healing generational curses is being able not to be bitter about it, not to throw the blame game, it's very easy for people to say, oh, well, my parents did this. Okay, well, at what point do you stop and say, okay, well, I'm not a child anymore. Mm. You know, I have good sense, or I at least hope someone has good sense. Mm. You know, and also, I want to touch very briefly that a lot of people think that they are adults just because they're paying bills. 
Paying bills doesn't make you an adult. <laughs> it, it doesn't. It just doesn't. <laughs> and, you know, doing these things that people think are adult-like are, are great. But guess what? I was doing all those things, too. I still do those things. But that didn't mean that I wasn't making poor choices emotionally. Absolutely. I hadn't grown emotionally. Therefore, I would, even though intellectually I was still operating from what the outside world perceives as what adults do, I, for myself, wasn't operating from a mature emotional concept. There's a process that happens um, of, of maturation. A girl just doesn't become a woman overnight, and, and a boy just doesn't become a man overnight. Right. It's a process of seasons. Mm. of maturity through the lessons that you, you learn through time and it doesn't doesn't you know just oh, okay you turn 18 you go outside in the world you're an adult now no it doesn't work like that and that's why unfortunately we have children little boys and little girls that are living in adult quote-unquote physically male and female bodies that healing causes you to question that's true during your healing process during your journey of healing what did you question well one i had to question my own thoughts and feelings about myself i had to question and the big question that i think is the big question is who am i and i had to question what ideals what morals, what principles define me? What is it that I feel in my core, in my soul? What are those things that sit well with me? What are those things that resonate with me? What are those things that make me feel like my truth is being spoken, that my truth is being articulated? What are those things that make me feel joy, bring me joy, bring me happiness? What are all those things and now it's that one question and now you're fitting it into okay let me compare that and question that in compare and contrast to the environment that I was conditioned in now it, it's that process of okay were my conditioning in alignment with for my soul's growth do they still work because things expire, things get outdated. That's why things are always getting improved and remodeled and upgraded. And, and that's for most things. And, and there are certain things, certain principles that at their core, they're always gonna be perfect at their base, at their core. But there are, are grander things that need to be questioned and changed. You know, from, for example, from self-esteem, being conditioned to having poor self-esteem because, you know, my mother played a big role in how I saw myself. Now as an adult, I have to say to myself now, is this how I really see myself? Or am I looking at myself through the eyes of somebody else? Am I looking at myself through the eyes of someone else's projections? Am I looking at myself through the eyes of someone else's feelings that they have for themselves? That's, that's the questioning that happens. And it happens on many different levels and it happens in in um in increments because healing is not linear i always tell people that there we heal sometimes from things and in, in levels we may think of and a great example is sometimes just even in your own thought process 
you may find things that come up in your consciousness that have happened from the past. And you may have thought to yourself, oh, well, I, I thought I healed from that already. Like, no, it's being brought up to your conscious to be healed even deeper than it has before. Now that so much time has elapsed, you have gained knowledge within that time that has elapsed. And now you'll have a better and deeper understanding of why you behave as such in certain situations or why you felt the way or even to understand better of why that person who may have contributed to that trauma better understand how their thought process may have been working or to understand what trauma they may have experienced that have caused them to behave as such to you. So it makes you question and heal things in, in levels. Everything is, is, is a process. Yes. And it's a process that can't be rushed. And if you do find yourself rushing it, things will continue to manifest and, and come up around you in your, in your circumstances and your situations until you address those things. Until you heal those things. There's no um, getting over. You have to grow through your growing pains. There's no other way around it. And it's like weeds just constantly springing up on you. you. Cut down one, here comes two more. You cut down those two, here comes three more. Yeah, and sometimes it's like that. And sometimes certain levels, and, and it, it, that is so because certain conditionings are very much deeply embedded in our subconscious. It's like they're, they're emotional leeches that we slowly have to work on detaching. And sometimes, depending on what the trauma is, takes time, takes longer than other things may take. Certain lessons we learn quicker, certain classes, and, and that's with life too. There are certain subjects in school we excel at better than other things. I stink at math. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I've always been, it's always my weak point, but give me writing, give me English, give me philosophy. I excel at those things. And lessons with those topics are much easier for me to grasp than a math concept is. And that's very much um, and a parallel, a metaphorical parallel to show with healing. Sometimes lessons we learn quicker and heal from from others. Yes. So that it, as I say, healing is not linear. It's not just one straight process. Yes, and folks, Christine is like my personal philosopher. Man, she be coming up with these Christineisms, and I'm like. Damn, that was deep. But yeah, I'd be like, all right, I'm going to write that down, but I ain't going to tell her because, you know, like, oh, that was all right. That was all right. You know, but I'm like, damn, that was deep. But yeah, mom, in in having that stroke, take me back to that moment, if you will like. Um, when you got the news and what was that entire phase like for you? It wasn't even getting the news. I mean, I was there. Mm. So it <laughs> I was, you know, live on the scene. It wasn't being heard from a secondary or, or tertiary uh, source. I was there. And I had been there for all of my mom's strokes. She, this is the third one that she had. And with this one, struck me differently because I knew with seeing my mother in my core that that would be, that this that moment would be the last moment that I would have my mother in the capacity that I was used to knowing her in. I had, I already knew, even though she was physically still there, 
in a way, there was a death that sort of occurred for me with my mother. I knew that it would never be different. And it would never, um, excuse me, it would never be the same for me. That from that moment on, I was an orphan in my own way. And I was uprooted and I felt uprooted because I didn't have, because like I said, as much as um, the relationship with my mother had its trauma in it, there was very much a deep love there, you know, that was always there and always will be there. You know, your mother is your root. Your mother is where you are nurtured from, where you are taught so many things and nurtured in, in certain ways, you know, parents nurture their children with with different capacities with different knowledge with different growth the same way fathers nurture are supposed to nurture their children in different sorts of ways this is why um, no hate to the single mothers out there single mothers you know, you can't raise a boy to be a man it's just not possible the same way a man cannot raise a young girl to be a daughter and I knew I didn't have, I wasn't going to have my mother in that aspect. So it was me just knowing that, okay, I have, I'm, I'm going into, and not really knowing it then, but I went into a survival mode, mm. <laughs> a complete survival mode where everything else just sort of shut down. It wasn't about me, but it was about me. The main thing about me was I had to make sure that I could survive through everything that I was going through. It was being strong, being responsible, and taking care of, of things because my father couldn't handle it emotionally. It was just my mother taking care of him. So it's not only having to take care of my mom who's going through this situation, but it's also taking care of my father. You know, speaking with doctors, speaking with nurses, fighting, and having the most terrible experience within the healthcare system. Yeah. It's how my mother was being treated and having to, to deal with that, the disrespect, the, the lack of uh, cultural competency, the lack of bedside medicine, the lack of, uh, the lack of care within healthcare on top of trying to work full time. Mm. Um, I believe I was just finishing up with schools and college, just, just trying to find that balance of, of everything. It, it was, it was, I felt like being caught in a riptide and mm. that moment where you're still underwater for a couple of seconds before you actually come up above the water. Yeah. But it felt like just being just caught in that riptide for many, many, many years. It felt like that. Just sort of fighting to, to breathe, to keep my little nostrils above the water, yeah. to keep breathing and to keep going and to keep pushing in. It sometimes felt like I was fighting water. You know, fighting water, is, it's a heavy thing because water is it's dense. Right. So it, it felt like that for for many years. The best way that I could describe that, not knowing what was going to happen, but knowing that I wasn't going to give myself the option of giving up either. Did you ever have those moments where you just had to go somewhere and blow your top and like man I can't take this did you have those moments all the time all the time I think probably for the several several months after mom my mom had her stroke all I did was cry all I did was cry in the privacy of my own space that was my 
out of it because I, I didn't have anyone that I felt that I could trust wow. or anyone who could relate to what I was going through. So I very much just had myself to rely on. I had God. My, my faith is what very much kept me strong, my prayers. Now looking back on it, you know, God had my back the whole time because I certainly didn't know if I was going to make it or not. <laughs> mm. But he held me through the whole time. So it was finding those little moments of joy, even now, you know, no matter how hard life may get, I never allowed anyone to steal my joy, to steal my sunshine, to make me feel like I don't deserve to be happy. Right. I've always fought for my happiness and finding the joy and the blessing in those little things. You know, being able to sit by the water or just have silence or enjoy a good cup of coffee, a sunset, you know, meeting those angels, as I now call them, of people who I've met through that process who have shown me nothing but love and kindness and restored my faith and hope that things were going to be okay. That's what got me through. During this time of going through that with mom, and reach, and I think you had mentioned that that's where it got hard with your siblings when you try to say, "Hey, look, mom is needs this," or "Mom is not looking good." Did your siblings even acknowledge you or acknowledge the situation, or was it like, "Hey, this is on you"? Or what was that like with your siblings during that during that time? Oh, it, like I said, it was very divided. There was really, <laughs> when I think about it, it was kind of. Uh, so how did I how did I think or how did I fathom in my mind that I was gonna get all of us together when we had never known that concept of what it meant to be together? How was I gonna do that? Right. I felt like I was fighting a battle that I had no weapons for. <laughs> like I just went in full army mode with no weapons, just my bare hands. And I look at it like, wow, that was that was <laughs> very bold of me to think that that was very extremely optimistically foolish for me to think that but I tried it and even though I failed at it I learned to tie the both of them when you said that you were fighting you were fighting a battle with no weapons and you were in survival mode during that survival mode did that did you close yourself off from the world from people um I wouldn't say that it shut me off from people because like I said I never allowed whatever was going on with my life to steal my joy completely but I never I wasn't happy I wasn't in that that state of, of peace you know it, it was always like I said when you're in survival mode the only thing that you you feel like you're allowed, and I say that word allowed, because anything else is, is sort of just like, well, that can't happen for me because you're in so much of a survival mode. It's that darkness that's just with you, that stays with you, that's heavy with you, that burden that's on you. You're only think I'm only thinking about providing the basic needs for myself, food, shelter, sanity. <laughs> Those were my main things. So anyone I had met in the process of that time were in their own way distractions. 
in their own way, they were motivators. In its own way, they were healing in, in some ways, in, in their own meaning for me, to help me to get to the next stage of this process that felt like it was never ending, that felt like I never, you know, the, I felt a little tiny point of light at that end of that long tunnel, but never really feeling like I got any closer to it. For many, for many years, just feeling like that, that light just felt so far away. With your mother's illness, did you find any solace there? I did find solace. I found solace in, in my faith. I very much clung to my faith. God has been my, my rock through, through all the wind, has been my sword through all the winds that blowed. Whether I was fully aware and understanding you know some of the things that I went through I look back now and I say with complete you know testimony and affirmation like that that was all God because <laughs> I certainly don't know how I made it through it that was all him that was not me at all I know I have God with me I have my angels with me my ancestors with me because I don't know how I would have made it out I honestly I I tell you sincerely, I don't know. Something every time I felt like my flame was about to extinguish, it never did. Something always just kept pushing me. Every time I felt like a way was not in sight, a way always was made for me. Even at the last second, I look back at every moment where I was just fearful and he made a way every single time. Christine, why do you keep your towel? I have a purpose here. I have a purpose in this life. I have a purpose to be of service. I have a purpose to share the knowledge that I have to teach, to learn, to inspire, to to love, to spread love, to get people to understand and know that they are enough just because that they exist. Like this life is not meant for us to suffer, that we are limitless beings that have so much to offer, that we are blessed to be blessing, a blessing to others, that we all have everything that we need in this life within us. You know, love is not an external process. It's not an external energy. Love is very much an internal energy and what we are created from. I'm all about raising consciousness and it is my purpose here to be that light coming through my own darkness and being able to use my own powers of, of transmutation to change negative things into something positive. So I do feel that responsibility to others, to help others, to be that light for others, to help people to recognize and understand the tools that they have within themselves. I'm just a mirror reflecting to others of their greatness of what I see in them. Yes. That's why I keep my towel. Christine, if there's any last words you want to speak, you have your social media, you want people to reach you at, the floor is yours, my girl. Yes, you could definitely follow me and I do spiritual coaching, channeling. Uh, my Instagram page is the light child space that is t-h-e l-i-g-h-t 
C-H-I-L-D-S-P-A-C-E. I didn't realize how much those letters sort of rhyme with each other, but... <laughs> Only Christine. Only Please Christine. follow me on social media. <laughs> Definitely, y'all. So I'm going to put all her social media info in the description box so you'll be able to go ahead and reach her and get at her. I promise you folks you want to do that because many times she and I would get a chance to talk and such an encouraging light that she is. So, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Christine, my girl, you have officially survived Boogie's Gym. And ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> this sparring session is officially over. And thank you. Thank you, Christine, my sparring partner who came through. Thank for you. Me. Very much my pleasure and honor for you to share your space with me. You heard Christine's story. And you heard why she had to be able to keep her towel, even though life gave her some serious blows she was able to still stay on the roast but she had to fight back at some point even if that meant that she ain't had no gloves for a little while so ladies and gentlemen like i always tell you wipe the blood wipe the sweat wipe the tears but whatever you do don't throw in your towel this is your man aunt boogie i'll check you when i check you i'll see you when i see you i am out of here peace